Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calsey, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Uh, it's it's been okay. It's sort of been like, despite this sort of being a short week for me, it was kind of a long week as well. Um, so how was your week? It was okay. It was okay. I'm yeah. looking forward to getting some cardio tomorrow, raising yeah. signs up in the air and then putting them back down as we record, which is why this episode is out earlier than, than usual, everyone, because I had to edit it Friday night and stay up all night editing so that I can lift pieces of cardboard in the air and then put them back down um, tomorrow at the Women's March in Chicago. Um, we're, we've got a lot of top of show, like, news things we need to talk about, so I feel like we should dive right in. At the at the end of the yeah. podcast, we'll be talking with friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker, uh, from the AV Club and Consequence of Sound and RogerEbert.com about uh, Good Behavior, which is a super fun show that you all should watch, and I know I'm behind on this, and I know Noel already has mentioned this to people, but, like... I'm catching up. So you guys should watch it and you should listen to our segment, which we mostly kept spoiler free. Yeah. But let's get into the the some of the, the news, the TV news this week, because uh, there was a bunch of it. And I feel like we should start with like the there's some some bigger stuff. But let's just start off right off the bat with us being sad about Lady Dynamite and One Mississippi being canceled. Also, I Love Dick, which I never watched, but people said was good. Got canceled, and Jean Claude Van Johnson got canceled, which I liked the pilot of, but never got back to. Uh, the big ones for us are Lady Dynamite and One Mississippi, with which were each on our top twenties of twenty seventeen. Um, what do you? What do you th- have you any, do you have any thoughts about all these guys getting canceled in the same week? It's rough, um, especially because um, I missed the one Mississippi one until yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was sort of out and about when Lady Dynamite got canceled, so I missed that. Um, but yeah, they both. It was both. It was pretty hard to, for both of these, and I I know Amazon is like really recalibrating. It seems like a lot, and Netflix is sm- more slowly recalibrating than I think Amazon is. Um, but I feel like both shows, um, in particular were just like, eh, maybe this isn't the right fit for both of us. And also Lady Dynamite, you spent half your season just mocking us. So, uh, yeah. Um, so I'm sad that both are gone because both had such unique, powerful, uh, perspectives and voices and really lovely things to say about emotions and about humanity. And so losing both of them in the same week was tough. Um, how are you feeling about it? Well, they're both also really good shows. It's not just yeah. like we like someone on it or we think it's an important representational show. Like they're really good shows and you could make an entire season of either show for the budget they're going to spend on one episode of this new Lord of the Rings thing that no one cares oh. or wants, cares about or wants. Billions. They could they could probably make 81 Mississippis <laughs> for the amount that they're pay that they just paid a license. The Lord of the Rings franchise, not even to make anything, just to license it. Yeah, it's very sad, and um, and I think uh, you know, for me, Lady Dynamite is was less of a sting because I didn't necessarily get as strong of a sense that this was something that Maria Bamford wanted to continue long term. Yeah, I don't have any yeah. insight on that. That's just the feeling I get from it. Um, that she was, you know, that this is one that was she was backing off 
her involvement in season two a little bit just based on needing to get sleep, which was a plot point <laughs> in season yeah. two. Um, so that one was less of a surprise for me. But, like, I felt like when Mississippi was just getting started, <laughs> like, the ways that season two ended, I'm just like, we're not going to get more Felicia. Yeah, we're not going to get more Felicia, but we're also like, they had their first sleepover. We're not going to get to see any more of that, and that makes me very sad. It does, yes. It makes us both very sad. Um, what makes us uh, happy, I think, I don't know, we haven't talked about this yet, is the great L article about Ellen Pompeo that came out this this week, which was basically an interview with her talking about the fact that she's now making $20 million a year to star in Grey's Anatomy and sort of the conversation around that. And while I don't disagree with some of the statements I saw out there, such as a tweet from a you know, former co-host, Simon Howell, about, like, that is too much money for any person to make in the years. Like, yeah, but that's not the world we live in. <laughs> so yeah. if if ABC and Disney are going to make billions of dollars on Grey's Anatomy, Ellen Pompeo deserves to be paid. And if she didn't, if they could do the show without her, if they could make billions of dollars without her, they would. And so I have absolutely no problem with her getting paid. If you want to make it a, just have a different discussion about, you know, capitalism and about how screwed up so many elements of our, uh, our, our I guess, so socioeconomic setup in, in, in the United States is, I am happy to have that conversation. But I don't think that's what this is. Um, so I don't know. Did you read the article? Yeah, I, I read uh, a good like length of it mm -hmm. um, enough to see her um, throw a lot of shade at Patrick Dempsey, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, um, it was just like, oh, go race cars, Patrick. It's fine. We got a ratings spike. <laughs> um, but I, I really liked some of the, like the insights that she granted like the whole i was on vacation drinking rosé and they're sending me photos of the person that they want to replace him with immediately and i just went why do you have to do that why do you have to insert a penis into this right away mm -hmm. and it's just like this is very good and very candid and i really appreciate a the perspective but b also that whether it's part of the current climate that we're experiencing or whether she's just done giving a damn that mm -hmm. she's talking as candidly as she is in this and i really like that and i really like how she's aware of the fact that i mean she's been doing this for 13 years she's 48 now i want to say mm -hmm. and she's aware of the fact that like as being in front of the camera because of the state hollywood is in is sort of like limiting her choices now and she doesn't have really any choices as it is because she can't do anything else uh, because she's shooting 22 episodes a year of this, and she's just needs the summer to recuperate. <laughs> and so I really like all of this stuff that talks about labor, that talks about um, the inside of this, but also like how she went to Shonda Rhimes and was just like, I need more money if you want me to keep doing this. I want to producing and I want to like find other avenues to fulfill myself because my time on front of the camera is slowly winding down in what Hollywood is willing to give me. Mm -hmm. No, I thought it was so, really, I, like you said, yeah. I really appreciated how candid it was. I would love to see more conversations <laughs> like that. It is part of the, the me too conversation. And like, like we, we saw this week, Tracy Ellis Ross is not getting paid equal to Anthony Anderson on blackish. And so because of that, she may be on the show a lot less. She, if they're not going to pay her, 
you know, equal to her co-star when they are the leads of that show, then why should she, you know, be doing that same work? You know, if you're not going to pay her yeah. equal, then you shouldn't expect the same of her. And also, she's Tracy Ellis Ross. She's really, really good, guys. <laughs> yeah. The show is not the same without her. You can't do that show without her. No, absolutely you can. And, like, ABC and the production, uh, the studio's justification for it is a very dismissive jerk-off motion I make when they were just like, well, Anderson's also an executive producer and has been with the show since its inception. And it's just like, oh my god, cry me a river, guys. Just make her an executive producer as well. Give her some... I mean, the degree to which an executive producer, actor slash producer, has like influence on the show varies drastically from show Mm -hmm. to show. And so give her that credit or just pay her an equal amount and you solve this problem. But yeah, the show can't work without her. I mean, they can get by without Pops or Ruby appearing like every week. Certainly they've gotten by without uh, Lawrence Fishburne showing up every week. Mm -hmm. Um, But they can't get by without Bo showing up every week. And the idea that Ross would just start supplementing her income by doing guest spots is also just one of those things where, well, yeah, but you you still wouldn't get paid as much to make up the difference that you would lose from not doing, like, every single episode of Blackish. So just pay Tracy Ellis Ross what she is clearly worth, and let's call it a day. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is part of the conversation around, you know, again, around Me Too, where it's like, you, you know what happens when people talk about uh, what they get paid and when, when they have conversations about their pay rate, when they have conversations about their, like, their rental fees and other things? Guess who guess what tends to be found out? Guess who tends to benefit from, from that? The people being underpaid or the people being overcharged? And they tend to be the people who are most affected by by harassment and by prejudice and by a lack of privilege. So yeah, I think they're they're um, oh I saw some reporter uh, entertainment reporter uh, talking about how it was a TV guide or something used to do the top salaries in in Hollywood and the people who always were complaining about it were the white guys because they are the ones who made by far the the most and it looked bad. And that their co-stars were making so much less than them. And it also then made those co-stars want to get paid. Um, yeah, it's it's just, it's ridiculous. And hopefully they, they pay her what she is worth. Because that show does not work without her. And they should be grateful that she is, they were able to get her in the first place. And that she is doing such terrific work for them. Um, yeah. Like, pay people who do the same job the same thing. It's not crazy. Also not hard, calling a racist a racist, which apparently is something that was very no, challenging. No, that's really, that's really difficult. I yeah. mean, that's really, really difficult, Kate. It was very difficult for a lot of people this week. Um, adding to that list of, of racists is Kevin Spacey, allegedly. I feel like apparently we're supposed to say allegedly. But uh, it, yeah. it will it will shock oh so many people that the, the rapist, Kevin Spacey, uh, who was abusing his power on set of many of his productions, including House of Cards, also was apparently racist and didn't want black guys working security for his trailer. And so I think didn't he pressure House of Cards to fire that firm and hire other people so that he could have white guys watching his trailer? I feel like it. This has this story has gotten kind of swept under the rug a little bit. 
Um, and I think that that is important to to not make make uh, these allegations of uh, of abuse of power and uh, of just bad behavior and the kind of behavior that was condoned and supported by networks of uh, people looking the other way limited to just sexual assault, sexual harassment. It's also important to call out racism. So props to whoever leaked that one. And very glad that Kevin Spacey doesn't have a job. Yeah, I didn't hear about this until you told me. So I had to do like quick research and just went, oh, of course. Yeah. It was basically my response. Yeah. <laughs> well, and sort of like the, uh, of course, um, is some of the reaction that we saw this week to the allegations against Aziz Ansari and the, in my opinion, massive, massive overreaction uh, and hyperbolic and... Yeah ridiculous uh responses we'll talk about more of this when we get to full frontal in our weekend tv but um i I, like this idea that me too has gone too far by saying that coercing someone into sex is also not okay no one's saying that he's a rapist they're saying he's a creep and that he's a hypocrite and that it, and there was a great article that I read. I don't remember the who it was by, but it was it was the title was in the age of Me Too. You were asking men, "What kind of man do you want to be?" And if you are the kind of person that, heaven forbid, your behavior on a date gets out, and that's okay, and you're defending that, like, don't you want to be the kind of person who your behavior on a date gets out and everybody's like, "Oh, what a great guy!" Like. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Again, this is not hard. Coercion is different than assault, but it's not okay. And Me Too doesn't have to only be about the things that a small group of people prescribes it to be. Yeah. And it narrows it narrows things down, but the too much. And the reaction to the Ansari uh, piece is just very weird. And yeah. really... Yeah, it was just really weird and deeply... I didn't quite track why this was happening, apart from just... You you weren't there. And it it, it sounds, like, quite frightful mm-hmm. on any number of levels. And the degree to which that is downplayed to the point where it's just like, well, why didn't you just leave? And it's just like, well please put yourself in that situation sort of thing and think about whether or not you felt like you could leave. Also, why didn't he just not coerce me into sex? Why, why is like, why is it on me to not be coerced into sex? You know, like, or whoever was a grace, I think was the alias they used for the the woman who came forward. I mean, it's just an absurd conversation that we saw people having. And it's, it's like, to, to see it turn so quickly into, well, she should have just left. Or, well, it just sounds like it was a date that went wrong. There are studies that show... No date I've had has ever gone like that. And <laughs> yeah. I would I would hope that that's not a thing that happens very often. But clearly, it's something that happens enough. A lot. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's just like, if that's a date that happens, then that is not a date that should happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and again, there are studies that show that people... All people are very capable of reading body language and reading yeah. nonverbal no's to things or reading when someone is saying no, but in a polite way that the people are very good at reading that. And the only time that they aren't good at reading that is when ignoring that, saying they don't understand that gives them some benefit. 
there there have been scientific studies on this. I mean, like, guys know, you know, and this, of course, just I'm being, I'm generalizing saying guys, but just people who are abusing their power or who are being jackasses of any gender know when they're being told no, uh, they just don't necessarily think that it's, they have to listen to that no for various, all sorts of different things, not just in, in the context of a romantic relationship. Um, and, and it, Every time someone says, why don't you just leave? It's like, I just want to Google what happens when women tell men no harder. Right. Sometimes they get killed. Not always, but enough. Enough times that women like myself and also men and also all sorts of people have learned that sometimes you can't say no. And you don't always know when that time will be. So shut uh -huh. the bleep up about she should have just left or you know you weren't in that situation. She shouldn't have been put in a situation that made her feel so uncomfortable that she was sobbing when she left. Yeah, pretty much. More on this when we get to Full Frontal. Um, I also wanted to to mention um, Elijah Dushku and her her coming forward with her um, story of being assaulted and. Uh, and molested while working on True Lies by Joel Kramer, the stunt coordinator um, for that film and person in charge of stunts who then <laughs> injured her after she alleges intentionally broke her ribs after, after the fact um, he was the stunt coordinator for the Star Trek discovery pilot. And he has done stunts in one episode of Westworld, at least according to IMDb. I do not know if he's still employed on either of these shows. It did not sh show up as a continuing ongoing thing. I do know that he's, been dropped by his agency and also two other people have come forward with allegations against him um but eliza dushku i think it's amazing that she you know felt able and empowered to come forward with her story and i just, i can't even imagine some of the comments in that one were also total bullshit about well your parents should have stopped it no no that's not how we can it's not how that works, that's everyone. Not how works. That's not how any of this works. The person who molested her shouldn't have molested her. And yeah, that's how that works. Yeah, the person who groomed her for months to get into to the point where she was he was trusted by her and her family so that he could molest her shouldn't have molested her. Ugh. Um, also, Michael Douglas is a, allegedly a creep who likes to masturbate in front of his assistants. At least one assistant. Allegedly. Um, and I'm sure there are more happening, uh, even as we speak, people are coming out with more stories. Uh, there was the trial of the the um, uh, the coach for the U.S. gymnastics team who molested at least 140 uh, w young women and uh, or, or girls. Um, also, I wanted to mention quickly Woody Allen because the um, there have been a bunch of celebrities coming forward in the past few months, uh, and even just like as we record like today, uh, saying that they regret working with him and that they won't work with him in the future. And the ones that have been getting by far the most attention have been the women. So Rebecca Hall, uh, Greta Gerwig, Mira Sorvino, Ellen Page, uh, Rachel Brosnahan. Um, also, but, but there have been some men, because there's been a lot of criticism, like, where are all the high-profile dudes? You know, saying, why is this always put on women are supposed to apologize for having worked with a creep? Um, yeah. But then men, it's okay if they don't comment. But Timothy Chalamet, uh, David Krumholtz, Griffin Newman, and uh, Colin Firth this morning have all come forward and said uh, they regret working with him um, and that they wouldn't work with him again. Several of those uh, actors have... Uh, 
pledged to donate uh, the salary that they made on the film to various charities, including the Time's Up uh, Legal Defense Fund. Um, I saw Marion Cotillard was asked about this, and she says that she is, quote, ignorant of what he did or didn't do. Um, end quote, but all, but then said if, if she was uh, asked to be in one of his films now, she would, quote, question more. I would dig more. Like, Marion Cotillard, you're an amazing actress. That's a bunch of bullshit because everything you need to know is out there already. And if, you do, if you're, you're digging more now, it means that you don't want to know, and that's complicity. He made a whole movie about him, Marion. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole movie about us. <laughs> it's, it's not hard. That's This is not a hard one. Um, let's end on some happy news, though, because uh, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi is guest judging RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars this year. And that's kind oh, of amazing. That is kind of amazing. I didn't see this. Um, but that's that's pretty fun. I'm looking forward to that. And there's some news about Legends of Tomorrow? Right, so uh, today, I want to say, today, let me double check these dates. Uh, yeah, today, so two two news about Legends of Tomorrow, which is off until February 12th. Um, first, there, I'm doing a young Obama episode during the late 70s when he was in college, um, so that should be just weird and delightful. Um, hopefully better than their LBJ that they did, um, during the Vietnam episode. Cause that, that was, that was not good. Um, but that, that should be interesting for them to do. Plus whenever legends of tomorrow goes to college, it's fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, but I'm really looking forward to the fact that, uh, Kian, uh, Lonsdale who plays Wally West on the flash is, as was sort of being circulated and rumored for like about a week or two now, is going to become a series regular over on Legends of Tomorrow. Um, and I'm, I'm going to read uh, the, the quote from Legends uh, executive producer um, Phil Klemmer. Uh, when his character stepped away from Flash to go on a walkabout after being dumped and feeling somewhat estranged from his family and team, we knew that Wally West would be perfect, would fit in perfectly on Legends. So a couple things. <laughs> <laughs> One, he was dumped. He got a dumped hologram the box, box thing. Yeah, yeah. The dump box. But then feeling somewhat estranged from his family? No. Feeling somewhat estranged from his team? Yes. Feeling somewhat estranged from his show that he was a regular on and has been for quite a few seasons now? Absolutely. Mm. And so it, the justification for this is a little wonky apart from, well, now we have a speedster in our show and that's nice, but it, I'm excited about it. I think Lonsdale will fit in well with this and I think he'll bring in sort of a different kind of energy and physicality, which I'm looking forward to. Um and he at least already has, like, a relationship with them, which I think is good. Um, but how are you feeling about this? I am both disappointed in Flash for yeah. not making better use of an interesting character and a, and a solid performer. Um, and also just falling into this, well, we, could, we can only have one speedster kind of thing. Just it shows yeah. a lack of creativity, and also yeah. excited to you know actually get to see the character do something. Yeah, on Legends of Tomorrow, and it's frustrating that that seems to be the only way that they know how to use some of their characters and some of their more interesting and better performers. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't. I mean, I guess I can kind of buy Wally going off for his own adventure on, on traveling through time, but like. I feel like family family is so important to him. Yes. From what we've seen that yeah. like 
they're going to have to really sell that he's like coming back to visit because I don't buy him the way that I guess I'm willing to go with Sarah just ignoring the fact ignoring that, <laughs> that she has Quentin. a father and, and that her sister died and that maybe her father would like to see her and that she would like to see him. Um, like there's enough angst there that I can go with that, but I don't buy it for Wally for a second. Yeah. So they're going to have yeah. to really work on that. Yeah, and that was something that they ran into with Martin and basically resolved by going, we're going to kill him. Let's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I agree that they're going to have to really make that work in a way that makes sense. And they probably will not do that. But yeah, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Um, on that note, we've been going for a long time here up at the top of the show, so we should get into our week in TV. We watched a lot of TV, but there's only a handful that we are that interested in really diving in with. So uh, we'll yeah. be back in just a moment uh, with our week in comedy and reality. But for, we got to listen to some. There's a song on Sam B this week, so we got to listen to some Full Frontal. We'll be right back after this. I see you cross the bar with that same old story. Coal miners talking about their West Virginia plight. Baby, I see you pining for that old working class glory. Come on, darling media, don't be blinded by the white. Working class, don't just cover white dudes. Working class, your story has got to include. Working class, people who crimp the wise, change your ties and work the fries. They're working That was the song featured this week on Full Frontal with Samantha B. Uh, this week in Comedy and Reality, we're going to kick things off with a little Top Chef Colorado conversation, Olympic Dreams, before moving on to Full Frontal with Samantha B. From this week, uh, Blackish, Bo Knows, and we'll round things out with The Good Place, Rhonda, <laughs> Diana, Jake, and Trent. A lot, very strong affinity for Rhonda as, as a name this week on TV. Uh, more on that, listeners, when we get to our conversation about good behavior. But up first, we have Top Chef Colorado, and I have to know where you fall down uh noel on this whole tanya and claudette thing because i appreciate both of these chefs i was not happy that i had to kind of like pick a side do you did you pick a side or no uh i didn't really pick a side um in part because i was sort of half watching this episode so a lot of the details of it sort of escaped me Mm -hmm. um but so tell me a little bit about like what happened here and um like it seemed like they were very unhappy with sort of quietly unhappy with each other prior like setting up and deciding who was going to do what for this relay and then it just sort of kept spiraling and chris was just like i have no idea what's going on guys Mm -hmm. i was busy over here (laughs) yeah um basically when they were they were assigned into a team and uh they did not choose who was going to do which element of the team of the team challenge all that well because they just assumed mm-hmm. Tanya's a badass she will have no trouble with the precision stuff when that's not how she cooks um mm-hmm. and so um having succeeded in last chance kitchen Claudette snatched up the the time limit one and then uh they just kind of foisted Tanya with the precision element and the Chris Godfrey style and that so Tanya already was compromising by taking 
that central position and that challenge, which is not her thing. Then we get yeah. to the actual like cooking and the, the day of competition and Claudette needed more help than she anticipated. And um, I mean, cause some of this may be editing, but she was asking for help a lot. A bunch. Yeah, that, that seemed that seemed like a lot of help that she was requiring. So. Yeah. And she was essentially treating Tanya like her sous chef because she was her like time. It was like her dish yeah. was up first, kind of a thing. And um that did not go over well because then Tanya didn't have the time she needed and the focus she needed to do her dish. So that led to some frustration from Tanya. Then um and her temperature thing was also just really weird that I didn't was quite gra- yeah that was just uh, that, that was, was a even mess be- up. Yeah. yeah i didn't grasp that and i was just like what mistake are you making exactly right now yeah well she because you had to say what temperature you were shooting for with your meat right and then that i got but i was just like you know that it's not 145 no she doesn't know it's 145 that's the thing she doesn't cook with that she doesn't cook in that way so no she didn't know yeah. um so she had to guess she guessed wrong um but then when when it was tanya's turn uh, Claudette, and I think the way that I saw it, which who knows, that's not necessarily what happened. The way I saw it is Tanya asked for help with something, and Claudette had, had made some sort of like a sigh of a thing, even just about being like tired or like it was being a grueling challenge, not necessarily in relation to having been asked to help. Um, yeah. But in the headspace that Tanya was in, already being frustrated. That's how she read it. That's how she picked it up. Mm-hmm. And so then things just progressed from there. And I do think that, I think that Claudette was in the wrong of between the two of them. I think the way that she, I think it was, and it was what um, Joe said to Adrian uh, over in the side lengths. That's exactly what she said when it was you and her on the bottom. And, and that, when that happened, I also didn't agree with how Adrian, uh, sorry, with how Claudette presented you know, like, it was what she experienced. I didn't, you know, at least the edit didn't necessarily support that. Here, I thought it was very interesting. And again, this isn't necessarily reality, but according to the edit made it seem like there was even some some sexism in uh, Claudette's behavior. This idea that Tanya should help her. Ta- she needs Tanya to do all this stuff, but she's not going to bother Chris. Chris came mm-hmm. over to help her and offered to, to help her. And she said, no, 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 it's okay. You go do your thing. I don't need help. Like, I don't want to be a bother to the dude. But she's mm-hmm. expecting Tanya to stop what she's doing to keep, to help her out with every little thing that she needs. And that, that, and I think that, like, again, that's how it came across is some, like, un, like, some internalized, unintentional sexism and, uh, and just, and just, yeah, some things that she may not even, if the if that's accurately reflected in the edit, she may not even right. realize that she does. Where she might watch that edit at home and then go, "Oh, okay." <laughs> 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 Who knows? You know, like I can't imagine being any of these people than watching yourself on TV. And certainly, the way that editing editing can you know build a narrative rather than reflect your experience of reality. Um, I thought the tension between them was was and, and it just like Claudette was like wanted to hug it out, and Tanya's not a hugger. And yeah, no, she, that I saw, like, her body language was aggressively like, oh, no, do not touch me right now. Yeah, well, and also just very much wanting to tell Tanya what, that what she experienced was wrong. And, yeah. and 
and not trying, not intending that, but that's that's what the message that you're sending by how you say what you're saying. So, you know, and this is something that is very that Tanya is very aware of. She talks several in several different talking heads about um, being an example for younger chefs, being very specifically yeah. a a woman of color in the kitchen, and um, and being very aware of the specific challenges that she's had and in being very, she mentioned this in their conversation and the, the stew room of everyone's experience in the same situation is not the same. And your yeah. perspective of what happened and my perspective of what happened are very different and they are right. both valid. Don't try to tell me what I experienced because you can't possibly know what I experienced. Yeah. That part I caught too. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's sort of what I think happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't know that I would have sent Tanya home, but they seem yeah. to be waiting the, I, I think they didn't, first of all, the narrative of sending Claudette back to Lancia's kitchen, I think is not one they wanted to do. So I think that yeah. weighed into it. But um, also, I think they're more heavily waiting this season, the people who don't follow the challenge concept. Yeah. And we saw that with Brother as well, for the German challenge. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I think they ended up going with Tanya, but her food looks like it's really good. It just maybe yeah. like Top Chef is not her best venue. Yeah, and I'm thinking that's the case because like she also didn't make it through Last Chance Kitchen either. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm thinking that this just wasn't a venue for her mm-hmm. and also just not an environment for her either because she increasingly as the episodes sort of progressed, certainly by the snow episode. Yeah. Um when everyone is very upset, but um certainly by the snow episode, I think she was just generally really done with everyone really in a lot of ways um because i saw her like discussing uh talking back to the um the bears yes so weird oh i love that though i loved that like when you guys are in the bottom you make the whole conversation about you and when you're in the top like her her converse her her discussion to them was terrific them calling themselves the bears is just really weird (laughs) Uh, yeah no, her 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 points to them was very accurate, I felt like. Um, yeah. But it also, like, signaled how very done she was with pretty much everyone in the house. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And well, in the competition in general. Do you have any uh, other thoughts about the current, like, lineups and the current uh, standings in, in the amongst the chef testants? Are you excited about Restaurant Wars? I am excited about Restaurant Wars. Um, I'm always excited about Restaurant Wars. Um, but... I'll be curious to see how the teams shake out for this. Um, I think we know, but I, I, I would really like for them to have to like draw knives for this, mm-hmm. um, which I think is how it's that's how it's normally done, right? Or do it they depends. Dis- so, well, sometimes yeah. the winner of the quick fire, right? The quick fire gets to choose, right? Right? right yeah, right, right, right. it's changed um, season to season. Yeah. So, um, cause I, because the bears have such like a strong sort of connection, I, I'm curious about how these teams are going to shake out. But also we like kind of know from experience that those teams that are like super buddy buddy tend not to do really well. Yeah. Um, and they have a lot of problems. Um, uh, so we'll see how it goes, and I'm sure that they have some weird, bizarre sort of twist that they're going to inflict upon them because this restaurant wars. Yeah, um, that's so how they we'll roll. see what that is. Yeah, that's how they roll. <laughs> yeah, um, we should mention here before we move on to our next show. Uh, shout out to uh, Fatima 
um, Chef Tessin Fatima from this season of Top Chef because I don't know if you're aware of this, but she recently underwent surgery. She she was diagnosed with cancer after oh. shooting the show, and so she's undergone um, chemotherapy. And uh, it's it's like I think it's a bone and skin cancer. I could be wrong, but but anyway. So so Padma actually, they, I saw the reason it popped up in my feed is that. Uh, uh, Padma has gone to visit her and like sit with her through some of her chemo and stuff. And so th- that's how it popped up in my social media feed. So um, hopefully she's, you know, a- a- adapting well to the-, the the chemo and it's working and she'll make a recovery. But uh, that's that's rough. Cause she- I mean, she's in her 20s. I mean, th- there's mm-hmm. no good time to get cancer. Don't get me no, wrong. No, I was going to say, there's no good time to get cancer, Kate. <laughs> there's no, but like that's, uh, it- it- she- she's diagnosed with uh, Ewing sarcoma. Um, so hopefully it will go well for for her the and she'll be able to 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 beat cancer but um yeah the also uh there i saw it was on it was either facebook or instagram um that leanne had her baby oh yay they shared pictures of herself and her partner and her uh her her baby um her baby boy um so so congratulations leanne was the baby cuter than bruce's baby we haven't. Did we see the picture of Beavis's baby? Oh yes, we did yes. see the ba- picture. They were both very cute. Two you say t- so. <laughs> two Top Chef babies. They're both very wrinkly and and fresh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on to Full Frontal with Samantha B. I wanted to mention this specifically for the song that we heard at the beginning of the segment, but also because I thought that Sam B was just completely on point in her reaction to the uh, the Aziz Ansari piece and then the reactions to that um i thought it was a strong episode of the show i've also been uh catching more of the um rundown with robin Thede, and they've been on point as well uh, did you have any thoughts uh, thoughts about uh, full front this week no it was again a really solid show um this one i think was like more solid across the board than they sort of have been i think all the segments were really really strong um because this was this was also the episode where she goes to um speak to Working class Americans who aren't white. Yeah. And hey, isn't that a revelation? Um, so that was really nice. And this this episode in particular, I think, worked really well because so much of it was a response to discourse mm-hmm. as opposed to sort of like mocking and interrogate and like mocking the discourse. This was a much larger like, no, we're going to offer corrections to a number of things here from our perspective of like why this why this particular approach to what we're talking about in this new cycle this week wasn't or like have been talking about for like a year and a half now two years in relation to trump's working class voters nonsense and how all of that gets packaged to us and then is they deconstruct and just deflate all of that really really nicely in this uh in this in this particular week and i'm also very excited about what they're doing next week (laughs) yeah no i'm looking forward to that um but no having the this air the night before the new york times turned its entire print editorial section over to letters from trump supporters saying whether they still support Trump, spoiler alert, they pretty much all do. Um, yeah. And their re- their sense of what he's done in as president and how successful he has been with some of his initiatives don't match the truth, um, as reported widely in many different, you know, reputable papers. But that doesn't seem to matter. The New York Times seems very in love with these. They supported Trump. Do they still support? Yes. Yes, they do. Like, 
why and yeah that the, I thought that that's the timing of that I don't know if it was intentional on on full frontal's part but either way it just really served to underline <laughs> how frustrating it is this this obsession with like this idea that Trump's campaign and the RNC have pitched of who working class America is and why Trump wins he has all this great support and no you mean white working class America yeah. And let's be let's be honest with who you're talking about and the some of the threads, uh, in, in some of the very strong threads connecting a bunch of those letters that I read, uh, so that I could be informed when when the New York Times uh, decided to give over their editorial section to that on uh, this week. So yeah, uh, I really appreciated that segment. I will be queuing it up so I can send it to some of my family members. On that note, shall we move on to Blackish? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this episode sort of caught my attention for a couple of reasons. One, it has Bo discovering the mom blog Osphere, which mm-hmm. is ripe material for sitcoms that is has I think has been exploited plenty at this point. But um, there's still really good stuff in this in that particular plot, especially when Bo's just like, "But I'm a doctor. Oh, a show for big pharma." Um, it's just like, this is, this is delightful. Um, so I really enjoyed that, but the big thing that this caught, and Black has just done this fairly consistently since it's run, given the fact that Dre works in that agency is, uh, Lido and whatever the rest of the firm is called, I can never (laughs) remember, um, was, uh, helping Procter & Gamble with their new, the talk, um, um, ad campaign or their black is beautiful camp my black is beautiful campaign um i think are like kind of intertwined with one another and it's supposed to be a campaign about talking about bias and the discussions around the talk that is framed as these are things that black parents tell their kids what to expect when they go out into the world and it, it comedically depicted um with ruby's discussions of just telling dre at different stages in his life america hates you and that's all (laughs) that's that's all she says is america hates you and but building on that to certain extents of like racism uh what it means to like go for a drive and be pulled over just because you're black even though you're not doing anything and that kind of a thing gets discussed in that and then it extends to discussing your own particular sort of expectations for what the talk is like they have lucy appear for the first time in who knows how long i know how long since they threw her under the bus and made her a trump supporter yes exactly that's right that is what happened oh i knew there was a reason she hadn't come back (laughs) um so they talk about like how like wearing ponytails running going out by yourself and concerns about date dating and that kind of a thing come out as a talk and Dre sort of attempt to make everyone realize that there are various dangers and biases that everyone faces except for rich white men because they benefit from them. And so all of this is really nice, but it also feels more so than some of their other previous ad campaign tie-ins that they've done in the past more aggressively shoehorned in, especially when an ad for this um, campaign from Procter and Gamble aired immediately after the episode aired, and it's it it's one of those weird sort of intertextual things that I always sort of struggle with when they do these sort of severe product integration type things. But in this case, in particular, it just felt really 
awkward. The episode, I think, handles the material well, but as soon as the actual campaign becomes sort of a part of the episode's flow, it feels it felt really weird to me. But how did you feel about this episode? I talked quite a bit just now. <laughs> uh, I thought that it's a very natural topic for the show. And yeah, so, no, absolutely. And, and I thought that they within the episode they handled it well. Again, having the actual ad air like immediately after is a bit gauche and the fact that it's a real campaign is yeah. you know like it's frustrating because this is such a such a natural fit for blackish and for the con- kind of conversation the show wants to have i think if if they'd had um maybe if, if they had incorporated like all the plots into that and made it more of a really focused yeah. and a more historical kind of like the ways when they've really taken on issues uh, and wanted to focus on them in an intense way that has really stood out and worked really well for the show. It's, it's always an issue-based show for the most part, but having a little more unity to the various subplots, I think might have helped with that, but then also maybe it would have made the whole thing feel too corporate or too, you know, specifically, you know, trying to sell this product. So I thought that outside of the context, like if you didn't, like if you watch this and you like bought the episode and you didn't see any ads, I think right. it would and be fine. Yeah, and I think that's a weird thing about our television landscape right now and how we engage television. And I'd be really curious um, to see if like the Hulu version of this airs the uh, campaign's actual ad at some mm-hmm. point in the stream. Yeah, or if they had... Um done like had them do an alternate ad (laughs) like Uh with 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 dre you know like coming up with it or something yeah and instead of airing the actual ad then like that maybe would have been a way around it as well but um and they could have included that at the end like as over the credits or something as as you know that maybe would have been a different way to do it but um I thought that the topic itself was a very natural fit for um, Blackish, and, and one that deserved a conversation on Blackish. It's a shame that they felt the need to tie it into corporate product placement. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think a lot of this also extends to the fact that I'm always sort of, I always get really antsy when like large corporations like Procter and Gamble decide we're going to do a social campaign, and I just went, oh, guys, maybe don't. I understand the impulse, but maybe don't. Um, but because a lot of that just like has residual stuff of like, a lot of it like stems for me, like from Dove's whole, well, we use, people use Dove to clean off animals after oil spills and it's all very nice and you can see the soap working and then it's just like, but your, your soap benefits heavily from the oil that was drilled. (laughs) So this is a really weird conversation we're having right now, Dove. (laughs) Well, and Dove's been doing various issue-related um, right. product, yeah, you know, things not for a super long successfully time. either. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I gotta say, the one different ones they've done around body image and around feminism and empowering young girls have all been very effective for me. I mean, they don't change mm-hmm. how my purchasing, but I sit and I'll watch their their promos and their ads for that because that speaks to me and speaks to my experience. Again, I don't think it's influencing my purchasing, <laughs> but hey, yeah. if they're going to spend a bunch of money on an ad campaign, if they can raise awareness for some stuff, then that's good, too. Uh, yeah, just, again, I always question whether it's, like, I, I I feel like I can say that because I don't think it's influencing my purchasing. Um, right. I'm not, like, standing in the various aisles of the store being like, well, they're a socially conscious company, company so I'm going to support that. Like, that's, 
Um, yeah. I, honestly, I have my list. And that's of, what they're aiming for. <laughs> of, of who I'm not going to buy from because they, you know, like I don't buy Papa John's pizza. <laughs> I haven't for quite a while. Right. Like I have a don't buy from list more than a do buy from list. And maybe that's mm-hmm. me. Maybe that's on me. Maybe I should be approaching it a different way. But um, yeah, maybe that's why it doesn't bother me as much. Uh, let's move on, though, here to The Good Place. Rhonda, Diana, Jake, and Trent. And, and Trent. Um, first of all, before we get into it, I, I love that the Jaguars have been having, did have such a great postseason. Are they out yet? Are they still I, in it? You're asking the wrong person. Um. But I was I was loving all the uh, things going around on, on Twitter about how excited uh, – <laughs> How excited they'd all be um, over the Jaguars. Um, how did you how did you like this episode? And and how about that ending? Right. So first of all, I think we should mention how a this this cast is already very attractive. Mm-hmm. But when you put them in their like demon duds, they're yeah. very deeply attractive people. <laughs> that just it gets much more attractive, and it's kind of distracting. Yeah. Um, but. That that part aside, I really, really liked this episode a whole lot. It's just delightful in any number of levels from doing the sorts of things that the show has done really consistently well, which is poking at, like, little things of, like, oh, so these these things are, like, I need a vacation from my vacation, or the first white guy to have dreads and coined Ultimate Frisbee. It's like, these are the things that the show has consistently poked at and done really well. But then there's an entire section where Eleanor just discusses moral particularism. Yeah. And it's just like, this is a part of us. This is the part of a show. And it's a major plot point that remedies an issue that like engages with some of the core sort of ideas of the show. And... On top of that, it's all just very funny because they had Dax, Dax Shepard come on and basically play our perception of Dax Shepard's career prior to marrying Kristen Bell. And yeah. it's just a delightfully strong episode across the board. And I don't want to talk about the ending just yet because everything that leads up to that ending is so good and so funny. From Jason being excited about getting a briefcase to Janet struggling with being a bad <laughs> Do, do you have a glass of water behind your back? Yes. And a backup one as well. And it's just like, <laughs> this is very good. Um, so all of it was just really delightfully funny while remaining true to who these characters are. Because, yes, Tani would name drop people even in hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so how did you feel about everything leading up to the end of the episode? And then we can talk a little bit about the end of the episode. Yeah. I thought it was terrific. I I thought they they kept things moving in a a nice way, in a smart way. I liked the way they split the group and Mm -hmm. they got their, you know, like I thought they, the, the demons and stuff were so self-involved that it made sense that they wouldn't be instantly found out. I thought that that worked really yeah. well. And the, just like you said, the costuming and set design and all of that was terrific. Having Michael need to interact with his colleagues and, and kind of separating the group um, kept things moving nicely because they could jump back and forth between those two areas. Uh, like you said, Janet trying to be bad Janet is hilarious. <laughs> it's very good. It's so and, good. And, and I love how Chidi just didn't change really <laughs> no he did and, not and it was it was terrific and, and the genuine efforts from eleanor to figure out workarounds so he doesn't have to and mm-hmm. like she she 
they don't really try to pressure him that much. He says, you should just lie. But when he's not willing to, they, they then it's like, okay, she moves on. And they don't, like, guilt him into you're going to get us all killed. Like, the respect there is something that would not have happened earlier in the show. And it shows real progression for her and for their relationship over the course of the, you know, one and a half, two, you know, like, halfway through season two. Or can you guess how many episodes this season? Uh, 13. So we're, oh, like, we're almost we're at the t- end. We're done. We're, yeah, oh, we're wow. done. Yeah. Tears. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, like like you said, this discussion of ethics and um, here's where the Kant comes in. Uh, mentioned yep. a couple weeks ago by accident. <laughs> we were talking, supposed to be talking about Kierkegaard. I'm like, oh, Kant comes back later. Um, it was, was seamless and so uh, in funny and well incorporated, real incorporated. Just it's a delight to see a show like this on TV that's, really interesting and thought-provoking and also really funny. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I thought the whole structure of it worked well. The pacing worked well. They built the tension effectively and had enough one-liners that it was just, it was a it was a strong episode. And then we get that ending and we get that oh-so-satisfying feeling when you realize the show has is going to pay off a thing from earlier yeah. in the year. And so having Michael solve the trolley problem or come to his conclusion of the answer to the trolley problem here after not really. Or the Kimmy Schmidt answer to the trolley problem. <laughs> or not, and just not really have mentioned that in several episodes, but know that it was such a striking episode from the beginning of the season that we're going to remember it. Just that, yeah. that, that feeling of, of paying off something that you didn't expect the show to pay off is so potent and it it adds an extra wallop to the punch uh, at the very end and i can't wait for the next few episodes what did it work as well for you as it is it clearly did for me yeah no it worked really really well for me like i mean as soon as he's like fumbling around with the jackets i'm just like Mm -hmm. i immediately see where it's going yeah and i'm i'm immediately like almost sobbing (laughs) yeah um, because I'm just like, but Michael's come so far, and also I really like Ted Danson. He's grown a lot, and also Danson's really good in this moment. He's deeply, deeply good in this moment, yeah. especially just like that that pin turn that he does right at the end after he shoves Eleanor into the portal, and he's just like, "Hey, boss," and it's just like. Oh, God, this is really good. And it, like, kind of sums up the entirety of, like, Michael's development across this entire season, which I feel like we can make, we can have a discussion about the degree to which, like, they've put in the time for that is Mm -hmm. sort of, it feels shortcut, sort of, I think, in a lot of instances. Um, They relied really heavily, I think, on the Michael and Janet episode to just sell a lot of that. Um, But... It also just, like, crystallizes a lot in Dance's performance in that one little moment, in that one little line reading. And so all of it's just really good. And I'm excited about, like, what this means for the show going forward. If, like, the show sort of becomes a, well, now we have to rescue Michael sort of situation. Um, Whether that happens in the next two episodes or happens is what kickstarts a lot of the action in season uh, three. Um, I'm just really excited. Um, the one other thing that I was thinking about in relation to where they're going and where they can potentially go, and I want your take on this because I have not discussed this with the um, with the Dante aficionado in my life, <laughs> um, is whether or not 
the good place is actually going to be really terribly boring. Just like Dante's Paradise is deeply, oh, yeah. deeply boring to read about. Um, yes, that's going to happen. <laughs> right. And so my question then becomes, because Mindy St. Clair is sort of a purgatory, but... It's not like a purgatory in like how we normally think about purgatory. And I'm really curious about if they end up retiring Michael or he ends up in a sort of like limbo space and what that what the show will do with that. Because I'd much rather them do like a limbo space where he ends up like awaiting trial or something. Um, but I'm, I'm just deeply excited about what this show is going to do in like two episodes. But also it's just like they have a third season and it's just like what are you going to do for a third season? And I'm very excited. Well, I mean, they have the, the, to go plead their case to the judge. Judge, and right, yeah. I have absolutely no question that Michael can talk his way out of a lot of the consequences yeah. uh, for his actions in this episode, if only because he's very wisely connected himself very strongly to his boss. So yeah. that, like, if if... The boss over like outs out Michael's actions. It reflects really poorly on him, and he might get banished to the burning hot sun as well. But he's a forty-six-year-old white man. He only fails up. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. But um, so so I thought like especially the delivery that Danson gives to the hey boss kind of thing at the yeah. end. It's like, oh, he's just gonna try to play this off. Mm-hmm. And they could, do, I don't know if they will, but they could do that and probably then set up Michael for an internal quandary of what does he do next season if he's given another neighborhood? Does he torture yeah. the, the new people? And what, yeah. what moral quandary does that put him in? And is he willing to do it so that he avoids his own, you know, like I think there's at least an episode in that or, you know, yeah. a couple. And they, yeah. the good place is going to have to be boring because they can't just have them go to the good place and that solve it. That's not yeah. going to work. Um, now, I don't know how much more runway they have on this show. Because uh, mm-hmm. if they just end up in the middle place, then that's like your ending, right? That's yeah. the end yeah. of the show. So they need more, you know, creative answers. I did not expect them to just get to the judge <laughs> right. no. this quickly. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that shows a great deal of, like, surprise, like, A, on, like, you, we don't expect that, but B, also, it's just, like, even though they couldn't reasonably do this, I think, because Sean knows what they look like, but, I mean, the sheer fact that they don't spend, like, three episodes in the bad place, yeah. and the sheer amount of fun that this show could have by being in, like, Bad Place Headquarters, where they have Pirates of the Caribbean posters in the train station, is, like, there's so much material there just on a visual level for this show that is very good on visuals, that they're just going, no, 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 we're gonna go to the judge and, like, start, like, wrapping this part of the show up, and it's just, like, that shows a sheer amount of dedication to your characters and your plot that you don't want them to have to run in place. And I really appreciate that, especially after, like, this season sort of had that issue a little bit. Yeah, well, and it's something that they've shown themselves very aware of and yeah. very adept at managing. Now, again... I don't know that they can do that long term, but they can get a really good three season show out of that. Yeah. And I, that's, yeah, I think that's that 
I think you're right, is like the third season sort of, short of unless they've got some really good ideas. It's just like, that feels like an end point at some, Mm -hmm. based on where we're going. Yeah. Because I, especially with them burning through the reboot so quickly at the beginning of the season, which yeah. worked very well, but then you're you're chewing up runway, you know. Yeah. So so we'll see what they choose to do. I'm very excited for the last two episodes and for meeting the judge and whatever casting they do for that. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a really strong episode. I'm glad because listeners, this was one they gave the first three episodes of this year to critics back in December, um, and we both held off on watching it. I mean, I lasted until like the first week of 2018, and then I watched them all. But uh, I haven't been able to talk about it, you know, with Noel because you you waited to watch it until this week. So I'm yeah. glad that we could finally talk about it because yeah, it was I thought it was. A terrific installment of the show and also i think they've posted the next two so you should probably go look for them indeed i'm very excited about that <laughs> okay i know what i'm i can't do tomorrow morning i'll have to wake up early have some coffee get my get my postering on and and watch good place that, that seems like a good plan uh well in the meanwhile what wins your week in comedy and reality ronda diana jake and trent win my week in comedy and reality i'm assuming it's the same for you yeah it was a really good episode of the good place everyone uh like like yeah. there's there are other fun episodes we watched i can watch tina be upset about valentine's day like all the time and that was the, delightful the, the mouth paint on louise yeah it's so good it's very very good uh yeah. but burgers everyone had a really good valentine's day episode <laughs> yeah like they always they always do all the holidays they just win at holiday episodes but i'm still gonna yeah. give it to the good place now yeah. we'll take a break listen to some more music and come back with our weekend genre and drama we pray at night for the helpless hoping you get us through breakfast wishing somebody come save us black lightning's back come to shock the haters up in the ghetto we need our hero back guns clapping gangs active like where we at black lightning need to strike like where we at show us another way besides these guns and crack nighttime suit up this for payback this our superman robin in the back step back you might get shocked off of contact this was for the hood this for being black we ain't got no hope they killing every day i mean we need you in every way we need results. We don't need to see your face. Here we come just to say the day. Here we come just in perfect timing. This week in genre and drama, I'll talk a bit about the assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, which had its premiere, The Man Who Would Be Vogue. Then we'll talk about the Black Lightning premiere, The Resurrection. Supernatural had its backdoor pilot for Wayward Daughters. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll round things up with the Flash midseason premiere, The Trial of the Flash. Um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Star Trek Discovery and X-Files next week. There, there are what seem to be really big episodes for both of those coming next week. Very excited about the Darren Morgan X-Files episode. But for this week, I'm going to kick things off here with Assassination of Gianni Versace. Now, this is one I wasn't really planning to watch or talk about. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw that you watched it. Yeah, but then a bunch of people said it was really, really good. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a solid first episode. It's gorgeous. You know, the performances are are terrific. And it looked fabulous. And um, there's a lot to merit it. Certainly, if you're looking for a splashy show, this is going to deliver on that front. I think it's still kind of setting pieces up. 
a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, people are talking a lot about Darren Chris's performance. I think he's fine in this first episode. Um, yeah. I'm not super impressed yet, but they I know they made about nine episodes available to... Yeah, FX makes so many episodes available. Like, I'm pretty sure the entire show is probably available on the FX Press site right now. Yeah. Um, so, so people are probably talking about things that happen in later episodes. So I thought yeah. it was a solid premiere. Um, I just, like... I could Edgar Ramirez is so good, and mm-hmm. I thought the, the casting Ricky Martin works so. It's so crazy to watch an episode to 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 remember how far we've come as a as a culture. I mean, how far we have yet to go, but like the in the nineties and this like you know this idea of oh who who was what's your relationship with Versace? We're partners. What does that mean? There's like, were, was this other guy who, you know, were these boys that you would bring back, or the boys, but men, grown men, you would bring back to have, you know, sexual relations with, were they, would they also consider themselves Versace's partner? It's like, it's like, it's so offensive and it's so horrible. And it, to see this and to know that's what so many people have dealt with for so very, very long. And it's only recently that, that the average person would, have any necessarily any awareness or the he would choose to have the awareness of what that relationship means like no this is my husband of 15 years and the fact that we have an open marriage is a none of your business and b does not negate the intensity of our commitment to each other and go fuck yourself um so it like i did not realize how strongly this season was going to really look at um at sexuality and sexual politics of the time and of now, you know, as, as just as the previous season did, uh, looking at race and many, many other elements and, and sexism as well. Um, so that's that's really interesting to me. So we'll see if the they can maintain that and if that has become as powerful and, and uh, as well handled a topic as the first season did with so many other issues. But um, that has me much more interested in, in the rest of this. So I'm going to be tuning in. Cool. Uh, let me know how that goes. Yeah. Uh, I think I have a lot on my plate. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to make room for this because uh, I still like need to circle back to the shy. <laughs> um, but I, I, I feel like I've just got a lot right now. And so if this gets really good, let me know. I will. Um, and I will just watch all of it on the screen or the site over <laughs> a weekend. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, let's talk a bit about Black Lightning. Right. Speaking of screener sites, uh, the resurrection. Um, you had already said the, f- the first two episodes were good. I thought this was a terrific pilot. Okay. I thought it was like just it was a it, it paid off what a bunch of viewers I think were expecting and looking for from Black Lightning. Um, but I think just in general, it was a really strong pilot. It introduced its characters succinctly and well. It introduced most of its world in a way that. Uh, was pretty nimble. I think this some of the stuff with the tailor and that was that dialogue was not great. But for the most part, I felt like I got a strong sense of the relationships and the dynamics. I thought the the action that we got in this first episode was enough and the right kind of action to be interesting. Mm-hmm. The ending the episode with um the the daughter, the the med student daughter whose name I don't remember, but I feel connected to her i just don't remember her name <laughs> um discovering that she's got abilities as well uh i thought that was a good hook to get us into the next episode and i just i it's the best pilot for a superhero genre show like this that i've seen in a while 
I mean, I can see everything that you're coming from. I struggled a lot with like some of the Taylor stuff um, that mm-hmm. was very like narrative shortcut driven. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I kind of struggled with that, but I also understood that the show very much wanted to have like an action set piece. And I appreciate the restraint of which, like, again, like the show is low on those, at least within this episode and the next episode. Jefferson coming out of retirement, I think, helps them focus the narrative so much on this domestic aspect of his life and this alter ego aspect of his life that I is really my favorite part about this episode and the next week's episode a lot. Um, but I, I just... And I like the tone and approach of what they're going, what they're setting up. Um, even if some of it from like a timeline perspective, I get kind of wishy-washy with is just like, how long has he been a principal? How many, how old are some of his students, old students now? Mm-hmm. Um, and how old is he supposed to be? Um, gets a little weird. Um, um, but I'm, I'm really interested to see how they build on a lot of what comes through in these two episodes um and in in this pilot so i'm really glad you like the pilot i think i'm a little cooler on it just because i think that the second episode i think is just aggressively this episode but all over again mm-hmm. um um are you as are you as tickled that they decided to use the 100 gang yeah um as <laughs> a number of people in my timeline who gave up on the 100 were yeah, no, that was that was super fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it just for the memes, you know, just for the the gifts yeah. and the quotes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I've I've been feeling I will be enjoying that for a while. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on the premiere or any other? You know, that we've seen it. Um, like, yeah. how do the effects work for you? And like, yeah, does does it bother you? Like, he's electrocuting people. Like, everyone he's electrocuting should be dead. They should all be dead, yeah, and that that's a problem. Um, the special, I really like the costume. I dig the costume a lot. Um, I like the, even though it's also one of those things where I have a hard time believing nobody knows who he is already, mm-hmm. and, like, th- they said that that's going to be, like, remedied pretty quickly um, by the end of the season at TCA. They're just like, yeah, we know. Um, so it's kind of ridiculous that no one recognizes him. Um, even because he's just wearing a domino mask and nothing else really. Mm. Um, but he's also shooting lightning from his hand. Uh, but I like the costume. I like how it works as like a, like mechanical costume and everything, but it serves like the, uh, iconography of that character really, really nicely, I think. So that works really well. But yeah, no, everyone he touches should be dead unless he's just really controlling the that flow really well. And they don't get into like the mechanics of his powers enough um, to explain that. And I think that we just end up having to take a lot of that on just uh, superhero hand wave fantasy stuff and just kind of roll with it. But there are questions about that, to be sure. Yeah, well, and also, if that's a story, we're going to see them develop and grow, you know, over yeah. the course of the the show. So, like, like they did on Arrow with 
uh, Ollie moving from killing people to deciding he's not going to kill people. And like they've gone back and forth too many times. But at least that's been something they've engaged with on the show as part of that character's development. I would be interested to see if that's something that they dive in with anytime soon or if that's something that they just don't want us to think about too much. So we will have yeah. to wait for more episodes to see about that. Uh, let's move on to our next episode, and that is uh, the Supernatural Backdoor Pilot for Wayward Daughters. Now, I was not intending to watch this because I didn't realize it was airing <laughs> until I saw my Twitter feed, like, explode. Um, I, th- I was looking forward to this for quite a while and I thought that they pretty much nailed it. I thought it was a really solid backdoor pilot and way better than that thing they did a couple seasons ago with like the Academy Monster School or whatever. Ugh. It wasn't a couple of seasons ago. It was four years ago, Kate. Good, because like I still have to wash that taste out of my mouth. (gasps) Yeah, no, their last attempt, their bloodlines, uh, Chicago Mafia, yeah, that was really um, spinoff was four bad. years ago. I I also thought it was only like two years ago, but they actually tried to. It was four years ago, and I was just like, "Holy hell, it, this show's so old." <laughs> <laughs> um, I I wasn't really grabbed by much of this, and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that I just don't know who any of these people are. Um, and so that sort of was like a big barrier for me. Um, even though in a lot of backdoor pilots, they're introducing a new character anyway. So the degree to which I should be expected to roll with it, I think, uh, was okay. But it was just, I sort of struggled to maintain interest in this. A lot of it boiled, A, to the fact that I'm not recognizing it. But I also just thought it was sort of an oddly directed, sort of an ugly episode of Supernatural. Um, I feel like the show can be a lot smoother than this was. And I was just really flustered by, like, a lot of the directorial choices. Like, a lot of push close-ups happened. Um, and a lot of, like, weird shaky cam. And maybe the show's aesthetic has evolved significantly. Because I admit that I have not really watched any Supernatural apart from some of the more meta episodes um, in a very long time. And so the, the degree to which the show's aesthetic has changed, really, since I've watched it in a dedicated way, which is, like, season six... Um, so I don't know how much of that is the show and how much of that is me just going, this very much looks and feels like a backdoor pilot to the point where it's distracting. Um, so I wasn't like super keen on it. Interesting. Yeah, no, I liked yeah. it way more than you did. Um, I think what they were yeah. doing with all the push-ins and close-ups is they want you to see and invest in their characters and their performers. Very specifically yeah. Jody, um, Kim Rhodes, but, but also... Uh, the uh, Catherine um, Catherine Newton, who of course we loved on *Halt and Catch Fire*, um, mm-hmm. but that's and, where she's from. Oh yeah, that's where she's from. Well, and I think I they like, also where is this woman from? <laughs> that, that's a big difference they have in this versus their previous backdrop pilot is that they have a really good actor. <laughs> they have a handful yeah. of really good actors that they can already like bring together to do the show should they want to. And then they added some new ones and some new characters in for this. But um, no, I, I, I am very invested in Sheriff Jody Mills, you know, since they first introduced her. I loved Donna in this. I thought she was delightful and a good counterpoint. I think that Kim Rhodes has the grit that you need to ground this kind of a show in the matriarch role of, for Jody. And I think Catherine Newton um, is good in, in their, you know, the young troubled fighter kind of role. The, the other parts of it need some more work. 
But I thought it was an interesting and compelling episode, and I thought that, for me, I was right on board. I thought the action was good. I thought they had a, a pretty decent pace to everything. I liked that they embraced the gross. With like, I kept waiting for that monster thing to not actually be dead as they were, like, opening up the... Like, yes. The, yes. And so when it, that didn't happen, I was like, okay, that's, that is there to make us uneasy. But also to show that they are interested in their the monsters, they're interested in the this nurse character, um, and getting into like more ghoulish and gross kind of stuff. And they're willing to go there with this show as well. They're not going to kind of glaze over that stuff, which I appreciate. And uh, I don't know for me the the rapport of the central cast was enough. I, I don't think that I'm not invested in is it patience yet. But the rest of them, um, I, I thought was, you know, I, th- I thought worked well. And I was disappointed when they're killing off their one of their ladies of color um, in this because there's such this bad supernatural bad tra- can't help itself. It's I mean, bad like, it's just record. like I was just like they can't even not kill off a woman in their lady centric spinoff. Is how dedicated they are to this. Yeah. <laughs> And then you see why they did that in the end of the episode, which doesn't negate that they did it. But... Right. And it, it's sort of confusing because is it a doppelganger? Is she... Did she did, oh, it's a doppelganger. Did... It's from okay. a, from another um, reality. That, that's like an alternate universe right. kind of a thing. So, okay. like, there's some doubles and stuff. So, like, that's what that's about. Okay. That's been a thing this season, it... which I haven't been watching, but I read up on, so. Okay. Okay. That sort of makes a little bit more sense. I, yeah, I, I mean, I sort of like the rapport. Like, everything that you just said, I basically go, yeah, sort of, was, like, how I felt about everything. Um, I think that, apart from, like, the monster stuff, I was I was really gross. And I liked the things that they were fighting throughout the episode. I thought were appropriately, like, shadowy and ghoulish. But also, anytime you do that sort of, like, clicky cicada, uh, cicada sound, <laughs> you've got something that's unnerving in a lot of ways um so i liked the monster design a lot and i i do like the idea of focusing this on one location and having that be like their central point so that it's at least sort of different from supernatural Mm -hmm. um in terms of its overall premise but it's also just like well a bunch of things got out of a portal and i'm just like I feel like Supernatural did this in, like, season three. Or at some point, a bunch of things got out of a portal. (laughs) Um, So uh, I'll be curious, provided the show continues, um, gets picked up. um, A, where it would fit into CW's admittedly getting increasingly cluttered schedule. um, Or how it'll further differentiate itself from the... uh, do we want to say brothership or mothership? <laughs> <laughs> I like brothership. That's good. I do too. So I think we'll go with how it wants to differentiate itself from the brothership um, of Supernatural. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see. I haven't looked into the overall fan reaction other than I know this is something that a subset of the Supernatural fandom has wanted for a while. Yeah. And sure. it's pushed hard for. Uh, and I think it's a much more natural fit than some of the other ideas they've floated. Um, I think it's a smart move for, for the CW to make. If they can have this go successfully, then Supernatural has yeah. been such a staple for them. And it's gonna they're going to keep doing it as long as Jared uh, and uh, Jared Eccles and Jensen, Jared Padalecki and Jensen <laughs> Ackles want to do it. Um, and so if they can build that, that world so that they have a show 
you know, that can hopefully keep some of that fan base once Supernatural does eventually end. I think that's really smart for them. Um, yeah. And I think that the, there is, like, the people over at Supernatural know what they're doing. Like, they've been doing it yeah. for a long time. And, like, that crew and that, like, the, the, most of the producing, like, I know there's been some turnover in showrunners over the course of the 13 years of the show, but, um, 13 seasons, seasons, I should say, but they, they're a well-oiled machine over there, uh, to the, actually even to their detriment sometimes because they don't fix problems like their bad track record on, on killing people of color and killing women, um, because they are such a machine that they just don't fix some of their problems. But what that can mean is if they kick, get the show off on a good foot and they have if they have a deep enough bench they have the right actors for the roles and they have the right writing to really establish those characters in the first season this could be a really successful show so we'll see yeah and i i think your point about like it being successor is really smart but i also think that it fits with like what's seeming to be like an overall sort of stretch within cw's development of returning sort of to a more female-centric audience to a certain degree Mm -hmm. and like their dynasty and valor are both very clearly attempts to sort of return to that a lot of people saw dynasty very specifically as an attempt to do that and so this could be sort of a way to marry these two impulses that they've had for a very long time um but the degree to which that's successful remains to be seen and again like i said like the cw schedule is just so bizarre at this point and weird because of how they program and how the limited real estate that they have that they have to be so picky with what they pick up but i also feel like they're they're going to have space because i really don't think valor and dynasty are coming back Mm -hmm. so yeah when it was probably through its first season and they really established the sister dynamic sleepy hollow was set to be the gender swapped uh yeah a successor to Supernatural and be really, really good. Like find that fit, fit into that niche and crush it. And then they <laughs> terrible and didn't know what they were doing and didn't know what the strengths of their show were at all. Um, and managed to get really great at killing off their their cast of color when that was a big selling point of the show. And okay, no, that's not the time. It's not the time. Um, so there's this this can work really well. Mm-hmm. if they manage it right so we'll see yeah. we'll see if it gets picked up and then we'll see what happens next season if you know like i i would certainly tune in and see how they got things going i enjoy the supernatural like universe so there's no reason it can't be a lot of fun but we'll see uh, let's move on though to our last episode for our week in genre drama and that's the flash with its mid-season premiere the trial of the flash how did you how did you feel about this episode and their the various parries duck you know um bobs and weaves uh leading to the ultimate conviction at the end of the episode of barry allen um was sort of my response to this episode in no small part because it uh, i understand television trials and everything but it's just like this is happening entirely too fast Mm -hmm. they're just so desperate to get to having barry locked up that they're just like we're gonna rush this really really quickly and i just went no, no, this isn't how any of this works at all. And it's it's it was really frustrating to watch a show where you have a character, central character who is 
works on a police force and whose other central character is a detective and whose police chief is figures probably the most prominently he's ever figured in an episode across four seasons of the show. And they're just like, we're going to arrest him and put him on trial within a day. And (laughs) I just went, that is not how any of this works. This is very weird for a show that does this. And also you cast Mark Valley as the prosecutor so obviously he's screwed because Mark Valley is a very good television lawyer. <laughs> uh, um, he's a very good television lawyer. Um, so I really struggled with a lot of what they were doing in this episode, even if I liked moments of like the whole, I don't understand the physics of how that conversation between Barry and Iris worked. Um, don't, don't think about I, it. You really aren't. Yeah. To. Don't think about it. Like, I don't understand how she was talking in a way that that made sense. Um, but I still really liked that moment. I liked the effects of it. Um, and I like anything that puts the two of them together in that sense. So I really appreciated and enjoyed that. Um, but the, the, I, re- I just really had just, I couldn't get past the whole hangups of the trial happening so very quickly and so very, without like more testimony and like how um, there's not a defense mounted, which seems really weird to me that there's not an d- attempt at a defense here. It's very and stupid. It's very stupid. And that that was what was most frustrating was like, I feel like there's a decent defense that can be mounted for this. Yeah. On any number of levels that they just go, eh, nah. And it's just went, no, no. So At the very least, character witnesses, you know? Right. And they sort of try that with Singh, and it, like, they, they just immediately, like, collapse that. But there are plenty of other people that could have served that purpose. Um, so it's, it was just very weird, and it, it demonstrated a severe lack of patience, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And as so that was that it was just it was really frustrating for me. Um, how did you feel about this episode? Because I just went on a small rant because <laughs> I don't get to write about this show anymore. So I needed to get this out somehow. So thank you for indulging me. How <laughs> did you feel about the episode, Kate? <laughs> I thought it was fine. Um, and I mm-hmm. liked some of the stuff that they gave. I liked the very on the nose, but the stuff that they gave um, the stretchy dude and Joe. Uh, was good. Yeah. Uh, the, the like you said, the moment with Barry and Iris was terrific, and they nailed that. Candace Patton nailed that as she always does. Gosh, uh, it was she's a, so good. She's so good, <laughs> and uh, and that that really worked very well. I just think like there's no reason that this couldn't have happened. Mu- like the murder couldn't have happened much later or earlier. Sorry, and then this conviction should have been like the end of the season. You know, so yeah. like, and then have have this as a thread, the the trial as a thread mm-hmm. of the next however many six episodes at least, half season yeah. even, and they're still trying to figure out what the plan is. But he's you know on trial for the murder of Devoe. Like if he's out on bail or whatever, then he doesn't have to be in jail. But then they really can't. None of them can be seen approaching the 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 widow of course so that really yeah. hampers their investigation and like they have these different threads of trying to like Joseph says with trying to prove his innocence and that could have been a much longer thread with him and stretchy dude whose name I can't Digby I want to say Dibney Dibney that's Dibney. why um it's a weird it's a weird comic book name it's, yeah it's not great <laughs> but but anyway so like there, there's no reason that couldn't have been a much better yeah. and more interesting thing they could have had like a whole episode of 
various people trying to convince him to just come out as the Flash and have, yeah. have you know, um, I can't remember her name, Joe's girl, fiancé, wife? Fiancé. Uh, fiancé. Um, yeah, I couldn't say. fabulous, her, I like, yeah. just like, like God, we need a defense. I can only stall so long, you know? Like, right. there's no reason that couldn't have been a much more interesting thread to add stakes and drama to everything that's going on while they're, the rest of the team are trying to still do their lives to go about their lives and, and be this team be the super team like you know like there's no reason that that couldn't have been a much more compelling Cecile like, to, that's Cecile, her name that's her name yeah to Ugh. build drama up towards like the the season break or to like have the the murder happen much sooner the build up to the murder was stupid so that just have that happen much quicker and then we could have had the 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 second half of the first half of the season be this build up and then the trial of the flash could have been like the mid season break instead of the murder. Like there's there's so many other ways they could have done this, uh, with the yeah. and gotten a lot better mileage out of this material. Right. And that's why I say it just demonstrates the severe lack of patience that they didn't even do this in this back half or like start doing like any of the things you listed. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, even if he's suspended from the police department, which he would be in this case, if not mm-hmm. like outright fired. Yeah. Um then he has time to devote to a fighting whatever rando metahuman shows up that week. Yeah. <laughs> um, or like investigating DeVoe and um, the, their machinations. And so that whole thing, especially when you add in like his new tele- telepathic abilities, ugh, yeah. um, that there's plenty of stuff that they could have done, but that they decided to just bypass entirely. And it's just, it's very weird, especially in a season that has demonstrated sort of a willingness to play a long game that they just really rushed through this episode. And yeah, so I was just really, really disappointed in this um, episode. And th- all of the stuff that you enumerated in terms of what they could have done just really, for me, it makes it much, much worse. <laughs> Imagine they, like, they defeat Javo, they save everything, they end, like, they... They're on top of the world. Yeah, you saved the day. And then he gets convicted of the murder. Yeah. You know, like that's that's an end of season cliffhanger right there. Like there's there's a lot that you know, and and then then it leads to a whole other series of things that who knows mm-hmm. they have the whole summer to decide how they want to get out of it. But like Yeah. It doesn't need to be one for one, but that's clearly, you know, what they are, the story, the way they're interested in telling their story is they're going to have them defeat DeVoe and he's going to say something or whatever to out himself as a meta and free, clear Barry's name for the end of the season is what it looks like they're going to do. And it's just, it's just not very interesting. Yeah, it's not very interesting at all. And it's really frustrating. And again, in a season that's a played a long game, but also sort of had a decent amount of energy um, apart from its pacing. Um, Dibney aside, yeah. Well, what wins your week in genre and drama? It's, That's a great question. It's totally flash, um, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's totally flash. Um, let's see. Um, we haven't been talking about it. Um, but I've been really enjoying um, Agents of Shield so far this season. Uh, it's we been talked about solid. It a little bit. Yeah. It's been really solid, and I've been really happy with it. I liked the Supergirl mid-season premiere as well, um, and but I don't know that I have like a really solid winner. So I think I'll just give it to Agents of Shield so far. 
Um, they still have a few more episodes left in this particular pod. They're only doing two pods this year. Um, so, but I've enjoyed what they've been doing so far, and I'm eager for how they get out of this particular mess, um, which is going to happen really soon. Um, so yeah, I'll give it to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week. What about you? Um, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna give it to the premiere of, of Black Lightning, okay. uh, with an honorable mention to Assassination of Gianni, Vers- of Gianni Versace, um, and just point to, again, as the Flash still has not realized that they did get out. Um, without the social commentary, the difference between inclusive casting and air quotes colorblind casting and yeah. why inclusive casting <laughs> is so much more important and so much the appropriate approach to take and having your characters be fully fleshed out characters whose ethnicity and background actually matters <laughs> in their daily life. Um, yeah, that's another... I still can't believe. I mean, I guess I, I do believe, but it's like it's hard to believe that such it's a very difficult to believe. Yeah, thing that's such a stupid thing to do on the Flash. But anyways, that's I feel like I've been saying that for so long about so many of these CW shows, um, and so far I don't feel like I'm gonna. I, I feel positive that I'm not gonna have to say that too much about Black Lightning. So we'll see. Yeah. So, Little love for Black Lightning. Um, a few show notes here at the end of our Weekend TV. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, or like uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and you can also find us on Stitcher. Uh, we would appreciate feedback either place. It helps us know if you're actually listening and what you think of the show. Then you can also, of course, find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And with no further ado, we will take a break, listen to a little trailer for a show that I wasn't watching and I wasn't really paying attention to, and I should have been, and listeners, so should you, and come back with friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker, to talk about good behavior on TNT. We'll be right back after this. Hey, you. Let's say these words together. I am aware. I am alive. I am the best me I can be. I am the best me. I am the best me I can be. And time. So nine words per minute. I don't get it. I'm a really good texter. Very fast. No typing skills. Recovering drug addict. Plus ex-con. How would you rate your interpersonal skills? Oh, people love me. I'm super charming. You came. You called. You're a thief. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you judging me? Amazing, considering what you do for a living. Nobody likes a sad hitman. Run from me, darling. It wants to change, really. I do. Sometimes people keep trying until they get it right. You better run for your life. I can't eat this. You have to eat. It smells. It's the food. It's the bodies. You're in trouble with the law. I know you love that boy. It is so nice to finally meet you. 
Give it time. back with the televerse this is kate calls joined as ever by noel kirkpatrick and this week at the dvd shelf we're doing a season spotlight on a show that fortunately friend of the show uh from consequence of sound and av club allison shoemaker and roger ebert.com allison shoemaker uh cajoled me to watch along with noel uh allison first of all welcome back second of all uh thank you for getting me to watch good behavior Oh, I'm so glad that this is a thank you situation. I was afraid it might be a why did you waste my time situation, but I love it. So I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah, no, not not at all. Noel and I have been talking about it a bit because uh, it was sort of like a we're doing this next week, by the way. Oh, I should start watching that show. Uh, so I've watched the 20 episodes of the two seasons in the past week. Um, which fortunately has been really easy to do because the show is really good and I slept on it. And uh, I, I do feel like maybe, Noel, you could have like been a little more pokey about it last year because I, like, <laughs> I feel like it gets really good right off the bat. Like right from the first episode, I felt like it was really strong. And the, the chemistry of the leads and like the performances, just like you want to spend time with them. Right off the bat, because this premise and such is one I'm not interested in at all. Um, but right away, it hooked me. So so I'm going to throw it, I guess, first to Noel and say thank you, Noel, as well, for getting me to watch Good Behavior. Um, and uh, did you feel the same way? Was it just strong right off the bat, or, or was it one that grew on you? No, it was pretty strong right off the bat. My friend Danielle is the one who poked me to watch this. Um, she had watched some of it, and I had to catch up watching it this past summer through TNT's bizarre on-demand scheduling it's, of the show. It's terrible on-demand. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, here's five episodes. You have to buy the other five, but then we'll flip them, and you have to buy the first five, and then you can watch the second five for free. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it kept but- cutting out on me during the Drag Race uh, episode, the Drag Heist oh, episode, and no. I was like, of all the episodes to stop working TNT's website, not cool. Ah, that's terrible. But yeah, no, I was really grabbed by it pretty quickly by um, Dockery's, Michelle Dockery's performance, but also Juan Diego Bato um, is also just really good. And I think he takes like a, he finds a new level in season two, but I think the chemistry between both of these and then how uh, they conceptualize and write both um, Letty and um, Javier, they're just such a compelling couple and they become a very strong core for the show that everything else operates around. Plus, guys, we get we get Anne Dowd recurring <laughs> and she's so good. <laughs> We're going to talk about Anne Dowd a lot. Um, but first, let's throw it over. I'm going to throw it over to you, Allison. Um, what, like, what drew you to the show? Did you like start watching right off the bat or was this one that you discovered later as well? 
Well, it was a little bit late. I think uh, if memory serves, I because I also binged the first season like right off the bat. I was, uh, I think, maybe a little under the weather. Um, but I, I can tell you definitely why I started watching it. And it's because I follow Michelle Dockery on Instagram. And <laughs> she just was so excited about this project and seemed to be having so much fun. And then like the hook is Lady Mary is a con artist. And that was that was all I needed to hear to at least try it uh but what kept me watching is once terry kinney showed up you what way before and dad showed up once terry kinney showed up i was like what i don't know what this show is doing but i'm really interested in it because the premise itself yeah maybe i'd tune in for like a little sort of tawdry tv and it could be fun and disposable and i wouldn't care um i really like dockery's work in general so i was excited to see her do something else um but what made it sort of appointment viewing for me was looking at the way that they're able to strike this incredible balance and tone where the stakes are really high, where it's um, genuinely moving at places. I think particularly because Dockery is so good and she makes this person who you would probably just really hate if, if in real life, incredibly empathetic and worthy of sympathy. Um, and yet it's so funny and weird. I just, I haven't quite figured out the show's alchemy. And I think after two seasons, if you still can't quite put your finger on what makes it so special and strange, then you've got something really great on your hands. I wish more people were watching the show. I'm so excited that you both are. Well, speaking of, we should probably say what the show's about. Um, <laughs> seeing as I think, well, because I remember when it first came out, we were doing like our mid-season preview kind of thing or a fall preview, and we were talking about it, and neither of us had seen it at this point, I believe, or Noel, you might have seen like the first one or two. But for me, it was, the, the premise is that the main character, played by Michelle Dockery, is a thief and, and car, car artist who also is, uh, has gotten out of jail and is trying to rebuild her life. Um, and trying to like really strive for rebuilding her relationship with her mother and hopefully to be able to get her son back because her mother, Estelle, has custody of her son, Jason. And, Jacob. Uh, Jacob, sorry. Thank you, Jacob. And uh, and so we see Letty trying to walk the straight and narrow and we see her you know, fall off of that and can she pull her life back enough to get her son? And... Uh, it, that's like sort of where it starts out. And then in the course of the first episode, uh, in the course of stealing stuff, um, Letty uh, stumbles across a hitman and, and overhears, you know, the plan to murder someone. And can she do nothing or does she feel like she has to get involved? That leads us to our our other main character, Javier, who's a hitman. And so there's this, the setup of... Uh, alcoholic drug user trying to rebuild her life um and hitman show it's like oh it's trying to be this gritty dark anti-hero drama it's look how different i am from lady mary kind of thing that's the the sense i got from from it uh without having seen it that's just like what the kind of show that I think with this description and with like the type of people who are, are in it, listen to like Michelle Dockery doing it. Um, that's what usually this kind of show would be. Fortunately, I was very wrong and it's not that it's really, really good. Uh, it is all some of those things, but it is not a, 
he, look, watch me try to distance myself from Lady Mary kind of a performance from Michelle Dockery. And that was my assumption that I was completely off base. And I was very, very pleasantly surprised and, and very happy to be wrong about that assumption. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way of putting it. That was sort of the initial draw for me, honestly, was the idea of seeing what Michelle Dockery would do once she wanted to make sure that nobody thought of her as Lady Mary anymore. Because I kind of love to watch those often train wreck situations, but it's just so much more than that. And it's obvious that everybody involved has put a lot of thought into the development of this character specifically. I think most of the characters are really well drawn, but um, but Letty in particular is so compelling, so dynamic, that um, and it's such a great vehicle for this particular actor and her talents that I, I think that it's a hell of a showcase. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think a lot of the how the show is sort of structured in that a, the almost the entirety of the first season, but a, and a good chunk of season two are tend to take place in just single locations for the most part. And they use that really well to basically let their actors really shine, um, as opposed to doing a lot of sort of large-scale sort of heist pieces, which is what I was expecting. They handled those mostly through montage. And instead, like, there's they execute these character dramas, whether it's in a car, in a hotel, or in a restaurant that hasn't opened yet. Ballad of Little Santino, oh my god. And there it's such a it's such an actor actor friendly show without feeling like it's also a writerly show as well everything just feels really organically executed and i just i was so surprised and pleasantly so with the show yeah it's based on a, the main character letty is based on um letty dobesh which is a novella series that's the character in the show and then in within the show when uh, Letty's parole officer starts writing his a book. They use Dobesh as the last name um, in with, for the book within the show, which I thought was a nice little nod. <laughs> I haven't read any of them. I was not familiar with this novella series, but you, I wasn't surprised when I learned that because it, it feels not dissimilar to like Justified, where there was a strong sense of these characters right off the bat, and, and maybe not their whole world, but it just had that the episodic kind of feel where you could feel them likely making up plenty of their own like heist and, and plot driving, you know, like instigating elements. But it's the kind of thing that fits very well in that genre of, of literature of these like uh, either crime or noir inspired kind of heisty adventure um yeah, short stories or, or, or series. And, uh, and and I mean that in the best possible way. I, I think listeners of the television at this point know I'm fully on board with episodic TV, and I think there should be more of it. <laughs> and I think that Good Behavior does, on the whole, a really good job of being very serialized, but also surprisingly episodic. Like, you're very invested in these larger things that are happening, certainly with Letty trying to get Jacob back and with the various, you know, complications of her family life. And then we get a lot of stuff with Javier and his extended family, especially in season two. Um, but episode to episode, there's a, there's a very strong driving narrative most of the time. They set up the needs of the characters and what is going to fuel that episode 
very strongly and almost always pay that off by the end of the episode. So it's a very satisfying watch. And that also helps it be a really entertaining binge because you can stop if you want to. And so you don't feel like you have to go to the next. It doesn't feel like homework or like you don't get to the end of the episode and not feel satisfied with what you've watched. But it's so easy to click to the next one that, you know, because it's such a fun show, I feel like that that does, makes it just ideal for the binge model. Yeah, there are so many shows that I just love that are not at all bingeable. You know what I mean? Or they, you can and often do, but at a certain point, they either start to blur together or it's just too much or it can really be overwhelming, especially at like this time in our existence. Um, I, people kept asking me or telling me they were going to wait and binge The Handmaid's Tale. And I cannot tell you how many times <laughs> I told people, whatever you do, please don't binge The Handmaid's Tale. That's going to be bad for you. It's going to be bad for the show. That's not the thing to do. But this is one of those not so guilty, guilty pleasures where it's substantive enough that you don't feel like you're sort of shoving your mind full of garbage, but there's enough lightness, there's enough fun. And there are these complete stories in most of the episodes that um that I think it's digestible in tiny little bites or in one big meal yeah well let's talk a bit about our central performances and characters because I feel like Allison of course is host uh co-host of the the Podlander drunk cast we gotta mention that they're just really hot right <laughs> like yeah. it's it's a big part of the show and it it just in the same way that the the romance is such you know is the heart of outlander but here the the letty and javier dynamic right from the first episode their chemistry is so intense it's so mm-hmm. palpable it makes you really appreciate how little chemistry so many other shows have that like, you feel like they do. And then you watch this show, you're like, oh, no. Okay, this is – you need to believe that these two people need each other, even though maybe it's not a good idea. And obviously, he's a hitman. And she keeps drinking vodka straight out of the bottle when she's trying to recover uh, her life. And so they're both, it's terrible. It's n- But they instantly sell you with the chemistry of these two actors. Like, obviously, in, in like, there's a lot of sex scenes and that kind of stuff. But most, just even there, just sitting in a diner, maybe having a milkshake. Or is it in her head? You know, like, the chemistry of these two actors is essential for this show. And damn, they deliver. Yeah, there's this moment in the first episode um, before either of them has figured out what the other one is actually about, um, where they're in an elevator, and I think he takes off her wig, um, and she says, like, do you, she's still talking in one of her many accents, right? She's still using her, like, terrible southern accent, Uh, but she asks if he minds that she's not a blonde, and there's something about it that is so hot, like, so insanely hot, and taking off a wig should never be that hot, unless you're on RuPaul's Drag Race, under the supervision of a professional (laughs) drag queen, taking off a wig, only ever to reveal another wig, by the way, should never, ever be hot. But there's something about that moment that's just, like, really, really steamy. And you can understand why somehow they find aspects of each other's lives that can become steadying forces and so that even though they have this incredible sexual chemistry there's an emotional chemistry that comes along with it and somehow these two deeply damaged dangerous people can be positive forces in each other's lives even when they're also sort of constantly yanking each other back down into chaos 
Yeah, and I, that really comes through a lot, in, especially the tail end of season two, um, where Javier's very desperately sort of like trying to fix everything so that they can actually have what Letty keeps saying that she wants. And so all everything that he does towards the end of season two is really about achieving that. And that whole idea that he's there for her constantly, that he, she's there for him, is it's just really powerful. And to both of your points, it just feels really effortless in how they're able to achieve that, both on like a writing level, but also like on an acting level. Like these two people just really click in any number of ways that even if you didn't have uh, the sex scenes that are generally really well executed, I think that you would believe that they just have this very strong connection across the entirety of their relationship. Yeah. The sex scenes aren't like outlander level, but they are pretty steamy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and again, because they're, they're all, they're almost always rooted in character as well and in just this blatant need for various yeah. reasons and so it's 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 yes sex for fun yes but also as character definition as intense choice as all these different things that like when when, when they go out when, when letty goes and finds javier she knows that he's a hitman and theoretically she's trying to figure out who the client is so that she can go warn them from him uh, so th- that's informing their first sex scene. And then there's all sorts of various other intrigues and like other, I don't, cause I don't want to say too much for people who haven't seen the show yet. So but there's, there's different dynamics and politics happening in many of their interactions, particularly in the first season that th- they managed to layer on the actors do without taking away from just the physicality underneath that. So like they it's it's yes it's let's have a steamy sex scene. I think TNT loves it. Like they they label every single one of the episodes on the TNT website explicit and then the title of the episode. <laughs> so they're very excited to have an explicit show. But um but it, it that gets boring after a while unless you're just top of your game execution. So to to combine that with the rest of these elements of the show and of that relationship and dynamic, I think is what makes it so potent um, and makes the show and that that central core relationship so successful. Um, we should talk about uh, Terry Kinney and the rest of the ensemble cast. I have some thoughts also before we run out of time about the end of season two and some of my fears for the show moving forward, but we can't not talk about Terry Kinney being terrific as uh, as Christian, um, her buddy's parole officer. I mean, I don't really buy the transformation that that character goes on, but he's just so fun. I don't really care. Yeah, he's good. He really sells it. It's definitely implausible, but his obvious affection for her is so established right away that you can understand why how somehow she would be this magnetic force that would somehow transform his life in the way that it has. And God, he and Ann Dowd are so much fun together. Their scenes, to, which I wish there were more of, frankly, are they're just some of the most reliably entertaining um, pairings on television. It's true. Um, I had the same thought regarding uh, Christian's sort of 
transformation, but I mean, it it sort of works in this sort of, if you think about Letty as sort of like a femme fatale almost without like totally destroying his life um, or leading him like to destruction entirely. Just he gets out from under a really obnoxious boss who's just painted so terribly and so awfully um, whenever he shows up that you sort of buy that this is a deeply unhappy guy who's going to latch onto anything to get at, find some sort of happiness and to find some sort of um, approval and affection, which he finds through Letty to a certain degree. And, but then just as soon as, as soon as Rhonda shows up, it's, everything changes and it becomes magical. It becomes <laughs> magical. <laughs> so listeners, Andowd plays Rhonda and it's basically magic. She's so good, and it's such a wonderful character. You can tell she's having the time of her life. She, and she said in an interview, she never gets to play characters like this, ever. And so seeing her in this, like, ridiculous FBI agent character, like, that is... It runs the gamut. Like, it, it's lovely to get to see her play a character who, like, dolls up somewhat here and there it is not always no nonsense and 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 uh, business you know business casual all the time it's she's the dynamic with Rhonda and Christian is hilarious um and messed up and hilarious um and just to see like see her stress eating and uh tweeting emojis back and forth to Christian <laughs> and communicating like she says like brb in in one of her first scenes with i think with letty and he's just like wait what did ann dow just speak in like text or tweets speak like what <laughs> is she gonna say afk what is happening and it's so <laughs> hilarious and wonderful yeah and she has great hair it's yeah. satisfying that she has such great hair because you just like ann Dowd is this incredible character actress and as a result she's often like very formal or I, I mean obviously she's currently in my head because of the handmaid's tale again where she i mean god those roles could not be more different and um and she's great in that too but it's just so much fun i was i was just re-watching earlier today the season two the first episode of season two um and she's not even in the scene but one of the phone calls between Christian and Letty is him walking around the house saying that Agent Lashford just left and she made him play a sex game she calls Help Me Rhonda and as a result there are tulips all over the house and you just can't <laughs> like and it's so wonderful because it's just great to see a, a woman who's you know not in her 20s or 30s and sort of conventionally beautiful in a role that's um, body and sexy and funny and weird and I'm just I'm so glad that we got to see more of her in season two and that her character is on this sort of really interesting journey no absolutely and when people were talking about Anne Dowd in relation to Handmaid's Tale and The Leftovers I just but 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 good behavior are you are you not watching good behavior please please talk about this performance as well because she's so deliciously fun like she's she is indeed just having a blast I mean uh when I was trying to talk when I was talking about the show a little bit with Kate I was just like so you have to watch the Holiday Inn Express episode from season two <laughs> because you need to hear Ann Dow describe eating a cinnamon roll like a fruit by the foot 
And there because... is no other way to eat a cinnamon roll, by the way. <laughs> might I add, Rhonda is on point. Ha- like, when they just take a bite donut style at the end of the episode, I'm like, what are who's ever eaten a cinnamon roll that way? Apparently, it's just me and Rhonda, but fruit by the foot way yeah. is the correct way. But, but it was also the realization that I needed Ann Dow to say fruit by the foot. I needed that in my life, and I didn't know that until this episode aired. <laughs> she uses it's... that incredible actor diction, and it's just great. Yeah. Yeah. She no, nails it's, that it's... tea. Yeah, it's all it's all in that actor diction, and it feels as much of like this forced part, a performative part of Rhonda of this desire to be this like gung ho super badass FBI agent that hasn't quite come off, but she's so deeply committed to it and. Dowd is so deeply committed to that commitment that it's just, it's a wonderfully elegant performance. Yeah, no, it's it's terrific. I think they did, like, the cast in the whole show is really good, down to the the kid actors, the, 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 the yeah. you know, the child actors are all really good as well. We have Jacob, but we also have uh, Javier's nieces are both mm-hmm. terrific as well. Um, and that kind of takes me to my next point, which is, I'm very leery about where the show is going in a season three, if have they gotten picked up for season three yet? I don't think so. No, I, oh. I don't. I don't think they have either. Uh, no, TNT they have not. Take it on that, um, because it's just such a pointed. They they make this a very big point of dressing Javier in all white, uh, frequently, but very pointedly at the the Christmas episode they do in season two, and then and also uh, Letty. You know, the first episode, she's in this white dress with yellow flowers and, you know, green stems and everything. And then they, they end season two with both of them in all black in a very pointed way. Um, I'm not interested <laughs> in that version of the show. I'm not interested in them where we find them at the end of, of season two and um, this turn towards potentially darker stuff. And um Unless, unless it's a similar like half season arc, and then we see what happens next, I just I don't care about that version of the show. I care about the version where we're having like emotional scenes with Javier and his sister Ava, and and like we're we're at diners with the nieces or with Jacob, and and or we're with Rob being a ridiculous goofball that any other show would make a mockery of, but this show actually cares about. He, they care so much about Rob, and it's so good when he's just like. I thought it was all inclusive, and she's like, "Oh, this is so good, so good." <laughs> yeah, it's um, that's one of my favorite little relationships on the show because it uh, would just be a punchline, and he would just be like a non-entity, and it would just be making Letty's mother a joke, and it's just. I think it's, for me, part of the reason that I am generally optimistic, assuming it gets picked up for season three, which I hope it does, um, optimistic about the future is every time I think it's going to do one thing, it does something else. Every time I think it's going to make the easy choice, it makes a different one. Um, And that comes right down to the concept, right? Like it would be very easy to make a sexy show about a lady con artist and a male hitman who go on the run and have it not be about any of the other things it's about. It would be very easy to make... Estelle, one thing. And she's not. She's lots of things. It would be very easy to make Rhonda or Christian or Jacob one thing. And instead, they're always more interesting than you expect. I think that's actually perhaps most true of Jacob, who would just be sort of like an angelic little destination kid. 
right? Like the idealized, I just need to be the right mother for my baby. And that's, the story is more interesting than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I'm, I agree with Allison in that the show zags enough that th- I'm, I feel confident that they can sort of pull off a sort of shift from where they end in season two. And so I feel, I feel confident about their ability to do that just based on everything that they've executed so far here. Well, before we run out of time, do you guys have any favorite moments or performances we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, or even just like best episodes? Cause there are a few that really stick out to me. Oh, well, um, I mean, I, we've already sort of briefly mentioned, uh, you could discover me the drag queen episode, um, which I like for reasons, you know, that have nothing to do with it being a really good show. Um, just because I love drag queens and, um, two of my favorites from Paul's drag race show up here. Um, but I think that that one is really fun, really indicative of the cool things that the show can do. Um, uh, Noel mentioned already one of my very favorites from the first season, the name of which is escaping me. And I love was it a little Santino? Yes. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. which I, God, that just hits like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the season two premiere is solid. I think that the pilot is really great. Um, and really fun and interesting. Um, I also really like, uh, we pretend we're stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, the episode where, um, without spoiling anything, where they try to have a normal day in a supermarket and everything goes totally wrong. Um, yeah, I, I just, I think there are a lot of standouts, but I'm curious to know what you both think. Well, I mean, I'll co-sign We Pretend We're Stuck, which is uh, the sixth episode of season one, where, yeah, they, Levy and Javier decide to have like a normal day with Jacob and they go to like a Kmart basically. And the entire episode is more or less takes place in that Kmart. And it's just delightful. And in, it goes back to something I said earlier about, especially season one, being really focused on certain locations driving the action. And they never seem to run out of plot in these locations. And it's really, really impressive. Um, Ballad of Little Santino is really delightful. Um, I really like how, especially towards the end of season two, they represent how Letty hits rock bottom really nicely. And she goes back to very bad habits. Well, not the super bad habits, but getting really close to the bad, bad habits. And uh, how they depict that, I think, is executed really, really well. And um, let's see, is there anything else? Um, One other thing I'll, I'll say since we bought up Rob, I think one of the big things that the show does really well with Rob is that Javier legitimately likes Rob. And I think that goes a long, long way in legitimizing that character. In For us, especially as the audience, it's just like, well, if Javier likes this goofball, he can't be all bad. But again, like the what Allison said about how everyone is so many different things, um, it just, it means a lot that they're able to do all of that. And... Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's really the strength of the show. Um, was there anything else? Oh, guys, just, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna say anything, but I just have two words for you. Christian porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you'll have to watch to get the context of that, listeners. Yeah. Uh, the, I really, you know, honestly, having watched these in a, in a few just like binges, 
they're all really solid. There's not really one or two that I can think of that like stick out as like like stinkers. Usually there's a couple where a show's trying to find its feet, but they come out the gate really strong on, on this show and uh takes a little bit maybe to to f- firmly set up the dynamic that drives the majority of the show. You know, it takes a little few episodes to get there, but what we get in those first few episodes is really good too. It's just a little different dynamic with Letty and Javier. Um, I'll point to the, like the one, two of because I miss his claws. And I think it's a sign in season two, which is the, the Christmas episode and then the <laughs> holiday Inn episode. Um, but really they, they do a terrific job of, of changing up the feel of the, sh- like the Battle of Santino from season one, which is terrific and probably I think my favorite of any of the Javier stuff that they've they've done. That episode just really hits in a way that the show hadn't until that point. Like it's a completely it feels like a very different show than something like You Could Discover Me. And they're both terrific shows. And so the fact that Good Behavior is able to do both well and have it feel organic to the the tone and the feeling of you know the vibe of the show uh, speaks a lot to the flexibility of, of the performers and the writers and what they're you know able to get away with and what we want the show to get away with I do think as my closing thought they need to dial back on some of the dark um, threads that it seems like they want to get into at the end of season two or start showing us some consequences they've gone really out of their way to try to not or to, to put us, I guess, in the perspective of Letty and Javier, uh, who are very good at lying to themselves about not having meaningful victims when they're constantly stealing and or killing. Um, I think the shows let them get away with that way too much mm-hmm. um, if they want to be more grounded. But aside from that issue, I think like this is a really deft first two seasons. And I hope more I hope our listeners check it out because I was very pleasantly surprised. I have one question before we shut this thing down and like mm-hmm. put it put it in the trunk and then take it to the funeral <laughs> home, right? Um, if you had to choose a wig collection, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So you've okay. got three options. You've got let's say any one queen from Drag Race, but it can't be RuPaul because that's a cheat. So one queen from RuPaul's Drag Race. You've got the Americans. I'll allow all wigs on the Americans because so many of them are of unflattering hairstyles. Or you've got the wigs that Letty wears um, or, you know, borrows or conveniently has hidden in a trunk. Um, Who do you go with? Whose wigs? Oh, I mean, you have to go with the Americans, I think. Yeah, I think Uh, so, too. Even though I don't really watch the Americans, but yeah, you kind of have to go with the Americans. I'm fully aware I cannot pull off those wigs from Drag Race. Like, know know your lane and stick to it. That wig would be wearing me. But um, I feel like the Americans um, are not nearly as high quality of wigs. Most of the time is what Letty has because she's got some nice wigs and she knows it and she takes care of them, which I appreciate them actually spending a little bit of dialogue on. Um, But there's so much more variety and they seem to be good enough, at least in the reality of the show, that we can tell. We we know that they shouldn't be that good, but everybody else in the Americans seems to be completely fooled by them all the time. (laughs) Um, So, like, I feel like maybe there's some magic there. Uh, Noel, what about you? Just same thing, Americans? 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the Americans, as much as I really like Letty's wigs and how they never really seem to change her like that, that much. But enough that, again, everyone seems just a little fooled or uh, like distracted by it. So they're effective, but it's also she doesn't have her grandmother's wig collection. (laughs) So not yet. One day. Yeah, Yeah, I think I would probably also have to go with the Americans, if only because I assume if you're wearing a lot of wigs, you want to be able to blend in. And Letty, partially because she's played by Michelle Dockery, is always like the most attractive person in the room. (laughs) And her wigs are always incredibly flattering, whereas the wigs on the Americans are often intended to make them blend in a little. And while I would love some drag race wigs, most of those wigs are actually like three wigs, and I'm just not sure that I have the core strength to handle that. So I think (laughs) I do like, side note, I do love that they are just like, Y'all are just gorgeous all the time <laughs> about Letty <laughs> and about Javier. Like, is is she real? Is he real? He's like, yes. Thank you for commenting on it because you're ridiculously attractive. Um, and so the, the, for a show that mostly is peopled with regular looking individuals, you know, uh, it's I appreciate that that uh, they put a little energy into that element of the story. Uh, Allison, Noel, do you guys have any final thoughts? No, I'm sad. I think we covered a good bit of stuff. Me too. Just and watch only good in behavior. 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so watch good behavior is our main takeaway, I think. Like they're about to change it over on TNT.com to like the back five of season two. <laughs> I think you could jump in at season two if you needed to. The, the, their previously yeah. ons are very helpful. Um, so you could just dive in with season two if you want, but go get, find DVDs, go do season one. Cause it's very good from right from the beginning. Um, thank you, Allison, so much for coming back on to the podcast. Where can listeners find you and your work online? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Allison Shoe. Uh, you can listen to the two podcasts I do most mag- regularly, Debating Doctor Who, which Kate occasionally guests on, and Podlander Drugcast and Outlander Podcast, which Kate occasionally guests on, um, <laughs> all, at all of the places you can find podcasts. Um, and you can read my stuff at the AV Club, at Consequence of Sound, and at RogerEbert.com, where I write about film and television. Thank you, Ellison, as ever, for coming on. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.